He's already outrun his pedigree, sort of. Will Dr. Post be yet another late developer who benefits from a revamped Triple Crown? Plus, even though Santa Anita is back in action, one important horse is no longer on the ground. He's got a higher purpose. We'll have all that and more on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll side. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch. It's a hit-bumping finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course, in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. Think that'll get us some brownie points in the America's Best Racing Fan Choice Awards in November? You know, best podcast? Or should I keep drinking Clorox? He is yet another late developer who may benefit quite a bit from a delayed and revamped Triple Crown. Irad still trying to get Dr. Post to respond to urging. Sia's all over him with attachment rate, top of the lane. On the far outside attachment rate from between Dr. Post. Dr. Post now up for the lead. Attachment rate is second. Let there be no doubt who's best. It's Dr. Post, an even money winner. That win at Gulfstream in the ungraded, unbridled stakes was the first time Dr. Post had run a mile or longer. He'd run in two sprints before that winning one this year and finishing fourth in his debut at Belmont Park last July. And while his sire, Quality Road, won multiple graded stakes at a mile and an eighth, Dr. Post's dam never won at longer than seven-eighths of a mile. So I'm pretty sure that when trainer Todd Pletcher and owner Vincent Viola learned that the Belmont stakes would be shortened from a mile and a half to a mile and an eighth, they were probably not too dismayed. Dr. Post's next start might come in the Belmont, and so to talk about him, to talk about the return of racing in New York and other related topics, we welcome into In the Gate the man who has the best seat in the house to watch Dr. Post, his rider, the two-time defending Eclipse Award-winning rider, Irad Ortiz Jr. Tell us about all that he overcame in winning that race at Gulfstream. Well, he's a young horse. I think he's learning by races. He was a little green, he run a little green, like I have to stay on him and but he do everything good in the beginning, like he was in between horses. I gotta use him a little bit to keep it in there. Then got a little contact. He was he was a little intimidate. Then he get through, then he was getting out because he was seeing the inside horse and was a little more uncomfortable for me to start going because I can ride him. Then finally, when he gets through, he put the head in front. He just take off. Like he he has some more. He just don't don't know yet. He, he can be a nice horse down the road. Well, you've said that when he grows up a little mentally, it'll help him. Now, what yeah. shows you that he's not yet mature in his mind? He's not. You know, he's not a very serious on the race. Like you can feel it when you ride. You can feel the old horses. They don't care. They they know what they're doing. He's a young horse, talent, but he don't know yet what he's, he's doing. You know, he's looking. He spoke from the other horses sometimes. Uh, he's running away from, from the other horse. When he sees the other horse, he go by him. And when he's going to go by him, just look at him. He starts, you know, like drifting a little bit. So that makes me feel like he's 
still a little green light. Nothing going to happen. He just follow whatever I want to do, you know. You raced at Santa Anita on Memorial Day. You've run at Gulfstream and Churchill and will soon be returning to New York. How difficult is it to go through the testing process at each track to be cleared to come in and race? I mean, it's, it's better for us, you know, like testing, uh, just testing them already like three or four times. It's not too bad for me, and I'm, I'm happy because like that, I'm okay to see my family, you know. After I check, it come out the results, so I'm, I'm, I can see my baby, so I'm glad they do they do this. Hopefully they keep doing it the, the right way, to be honest. How challenging has it been to learn the different procedures that each track is taking to make sure that you follow all the safety and health rules? I hope they, they should do the same thing. I mean, just enjoy in, in Santa Anita. They are very, very straight. You know, I, I love it. I love it. They keep in the racetrack by, I just race there. I think it's better for everybody like that, but it's hard in the other tracks. I don't know why they don't do that, but I wish they do it everywhere. Now, you flew back from California. Do you fly back commercial or do you fly back on a charter flight? No, I, I fly commercial back. How did you feel about that after having been away for a month because of the virus and everything? Yeah, right now I'm going to go ahead to New York so I don't have any contact with my family because they're going to stay here at Florida. So that's why I start, you know, I got to start flying because the business, I don't want to, but it's what it is. We are at work, and you know, using all the precautions, like we we try to do everything that we can to stay safe. You know. How has it been for you riding these races while there are no fans in the stands? Oh, it's weird. It's weird. It's weird because the fans are always there, and they always give us some extra. You know, so they are good, and we need it for the sport. We need the fans for the sport. Jockey Irad Ortiz is with us here on In the Gate. He won three races on Breeders' Cup Saturday last year, including the richest two, back-to-back, with Horse of the Year, Bricks and Mortar in the turf, and then Vino Rosso in the Classic. Now, when the coronavirus shutdown occurred, you didn't have to stop riding completely, since some tracks, including Gulfstream, were still running. And I think as a two-time Eclipse Award winner, you probably could have scrounged a few rides here or there, so how tough a decision was it to quarantine for a month while other riders were still out there running? Well, it was very tough to make that decision. Uh, I don't want to stop, to be honest, but I got my wife pregnant and she was at home. We don't know what's going to happen with all the, the virus. I want to step back for a second, you know, for see what's going on, what's going to happen. And I have to stop. Like I was going, coming back from the race track every day to my house so she wasn't happy so uh we talk we see we talk and i decided i cannot stop for a little while to see what's going on and, and then i just stay at home i want to ride so bad but it's what it is i gotta do what i gotta do for my family and after the month so i see they don't have any cases they doing a good job with the jockeys I called, they made me to come back, and I was in a separate room, so I can come back home and all that, more more relaxed and work out for me, so I just start riding back. Did you find yourself doing some things at home that you might not normally do in a regular week? 
Yes, I think I enjoy stay with my two girls, spend a lot of time with them. Even if I don't go out, just have fun the whole day. I can do regular things. But, uh, we have a really hard job, to be honest. We we don't have vacation the whole year. We just only have two days off every week, Monday and Tuesday. They are dark days, so, I mean, it's pretty hard, but it's my life, you know, and I love what I do, so just probably, I don't know, now it's time to back to work and keep going. What did you think when you heard that Javier Castellano had the virus? Oh, I feel bad, man, for him. I mean, he has family, you know. He has family. The first thing that you think is it's your family. And the moment I don't know where he was, if his two daughters can have something, he have a boy too. I mean, the whole family, you, you don't want to go by that, you know, by the virus. It, all your family is very sad, very sad. He, he was the only one and he, get, you know, he goes through. So I'm happy that nothing bad happened to him. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about another notable horse you ride. With the advantage, total is shape. Propelling challenges on both sides. Chart toward the rail. Spice is nice on the outside. Puts her head into the ring. There's a quarter of a mile left to go. The two favorites land first and second at the top of the lane with the leader, total is shape by two. Total is shape. Gathleone calling on all her class. She's responding with a three-length lead. Spice is nice is clearly second. But Devona Deo goes to total is shape. She does nothing wrong and wins by a length and a half. Tonalist's shape won her first five starts, but then came up empty in her first try at two turns in the mile and a sixteenth Gulfstream Park Oaks. What happened to her? I don't, I don't know her that day, but I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, something wasn't right because she don't try at all, and she always try, you know. She always gives you some. I don't know why she run that bad, but. The good thing that she they give up some time off. The trainers happy, give some time off and come back for the state third day and she's doing good. Do you think she can win at two turns? I think she can do it. I don't see why not. And let's not forget that Irado Ortiz also rode Mucho Gusto back in January to win the Pegasus World Cup. Well, we started by talking about Dr. Post, so let's finish with Dr. Post. If the Belmont Stakes had remained a mile-and-a-half race, would Todd Pletcher have entered this horse? I don't know. I don't I don't really know that. Uh, I don't talk to him too much about the races or horses. I mean, I just... If I talk to him, I talk to him about uh, some horse that I'm going to ride in the same week and all that. Or if I see him in the morning, he's a really nice person, cool person, and I don't bother him too much about that. And Probably my agent knows better than me. And I don't like to ask too much, you know, about that. So I don't really know, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he has a plan for, for the horse. How do you feel about the restart of racing in New York? I feel uh, I'm, I'm excited. At the same time, I'm a little, you know, like, considered to stay here. and My family going to stay here the whole year. So I'm a little sad because I'm going to leave and I don't know when I can come back. But in the same time, for my profession, I'm very excited. I can't wait to, to ride a Belmont, to be honest. And by here, you mean your family's in Florida? Yes. Well, we certainly wish you the best of luck as you go all over the country to ride as racing is finally back in full swing. Irad Ortiz, thank you so much for sharing a few minutes with us. No, thank you. Bye. He was the primary horse to play the role of Seabiscuit in the movie. When we come back on In the Gate, we'll tell you about the higher purpose that horse is fulfilling now. 
Welcome back to In the Gate. As you know, racing has resumed at most major tracks across the country, one of those being Santa Anita, as we mentioned earlier with Erod Ortiz. And while some horses that would normally be based at the Great Race Place have been moved to different parts of the country, the majority of those you would expect to see there are still there. There is one important horse, though, for sure, who you won't see there anymore. Then again, you wouldn't have seen him flying around the track during an afternoon of racing or during morning training if you hung out at Clocker's Corner. This horse hasn't run since 2002, and he never even so much as galloped at Santa Anita in his racing days. This thoroughbred's name is Fighting Ferrari. That's Fur, F-U-R, Ferrari. You can just call him Fred. Most people he meets call him Fred, especially children. Fighting Ferrari, Fred, rarely ran on the track like a Ferrari. He won just once in 16 career starts. He had a much better second career in the show ring. But it was his third and fourth careers that has endeared Fred to his adoring public. Fred physically resembled one of Thoroughbred Racing's best brand names, Seabiscuit the storied horse who finally chased down his windmill by winning the 1940 Santa Anita Handicap. Fred was one of the horses to play Seabiscuit in the 2003 movie. Fred mainly handled the winner's circle scenes. For the last several years, Fred, fighting Ferrari, has been the official mascot at Santa Anita, dressing up in Seabiscuit's colors, red and white, to make community appearances on behalf of Santa Anita. But now... Fred has taken on a higher calling. He helps take care of young children, specifically those on the autism spectrum. Let's learn more about Fred's story from the woman who most closely took care of him during his stay at the Great Race Place. That's Candace Coder Chu, who is Santa Anita's Director of Print and Graphics and also is President of the California Retirement Management Account, or CARMA, which is involved in thoroughbred aftercare. Welcome! Our audience cannot see Fighting Ferrari or Fred. What about him physically resembled the great Sea Biscuit so closely? Well, he was just kind of an ordinary, plain, small bay gelding. Sea Biscuit, the real one, was not a gelding, but they tend to be a little easier to deal with. So, our Sea Biscuit actors, there was eight of them, were all geldings. I thought there were 50 of them. There were over 50 horses used in the production, but the horses that played Seabiscuit, the small plain bay geldings, there, there was eight of them that they rotated for different scenes playing the actual Seabiscuit. And exactly how did he wind up then as the mascot at Santa Anita? So after the film was completed... Most of the horses were adopted to a lot of the people in the cast and some of the people at the track. Most of them went to good homes really quickly. All of them did ultimately find a good place to live. Fighting Ferrari was adopted by the producers, uh, Kennedy and Marshall, and sent to Telluride, Colorado, to a dude ranch that was near their home there or one of their homes there and he was a dude ranch horse for a short time i don't think he excelled at being a dude ranch horse much more than he excelled at being a racehorse but he was there for a couple of seasons and then the ranch 
sold or shut down or something. And Kennedy and Marshall, one one or the other of them, called Chris McCarran, who was, well, you know who Chris McCarran is, but at that time he was the general manager of Santa Anita. He was also the technical director of Seabiscuit. So they called him to see if we wanted, we Santa Anita wanted the horse, horse for a mascot. So Chris actually came to talk to me about it and we struck a deal that he would ride the horse, make sure he kept exercise and I would manage him as far as his time when he was not at the track. And he lived primarily in the stalls with the carriage horses when he was at the track during the season. His duties were to get tacked up in the traditional sea biscuit garb and be led into the infield by handler. And we had a big round pen out there for him and fans could come up and pet him and ask questions. And we taught him a couple of silly tricks that he did to entertain the crowds. And primarily it was an educational source for people that really didn't have much experience with horses. So it worked real well to help people kind of bridge the gap between actually just going up and betting on a horse and physically seeing one and petting it on the nose. So it worked out well. Candace Chu was with us here on In the Gate. She's the president of the California Retirement Management Account, or CARMA, a thoroughbred aftercare program. So tell us about how he transitioned to his current job. Well, there was a lot of steps along the way when he was not performing as Santa Anita's mascot in the off season, he became a show horse and he was quite a talented jumper. So he was shown for many, many seasons when we decided that he didn't need to be jumping anymore. He was a trail horse. And when he was not at Santa Anita, he was out at a farm where I keep my other riding horses and we rode him like any other horse. And he was part of the part of the herd after he had an incident with some arthritis at Santa Anita. We decided to retire him because it was becoming more difficult for him to um, get around comfortably. So we wanted to make sure he was out in a big area where he could roam freely. And it has worked real well. He's doing extremely well now. So one of the aftercare charities that Karma grants funding to is a place called Square Peg, and it is in Half Moon Bay in Northern California. And I had had it in my head for a number of years that that would be an exceptionally good place for him to end up for his retirement golden years. And it worked out that Joel Dunlop could take him at the time we decided he needed to retire. So my husband, Matt, and I hauled him up to Northern California in the beginning of December and uh, left him. We spent the night there and left him there with Joelle and Darius, her husband. And I get regular reports on him. He's doing great. He has a, another OTTB friend they call Stan that is his pasture mate and best friend. So all is good in Fredland these days. What made the management at this place that deals with autistic children square peg, what made them want Fred as opposed to any other thoroughbred? Well, Joelle is a personal friend. Uh, she is the founder of Square Peg, and 
one of the things that Fred did really well was relate to children. He wasn't that keen on adults, but he was very kind and gentle with small children. And there were several times when a group called Ability First came out to Santa Anita and brought autistic and Down children, Down syndrome children, to see the track and take a tour. I am going to free Fred today. And that's what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to carry this over here. I'm going to bring it to Fred. What do you think Fred I thinks? And Fred. Okay, and let's... that's a good horse. That's my, that's my paw. At one point, we brought Fred into the middle of a, a swarm of them, and they fed him carrots and petted him. And one young man named Austin was particularly interested in Fred and my husband and I were on either side of the horse to make sure you know nobody got stepped on. My husband handed the lead tank to this Austin and we took the horse around the walking ring and uh, Austin was chatting with Fred and telling him his life story and how much he liked being out there and how happy he was to meet Fred and on and on. And as we got around the other side of the locking ring, I realized that my husband hadn't asked if it was okay if we took Austin away from the group and let him walk around the ring. And as I came up to his father and a couple of the teachers at Ability First, they were standing kind of awestruck looking. And I thought, oh dear, we've, <laughs> we should have asked permission. And I apologized, and they said, oh, well, it's fine, but Austin generally is is nonverbal. So this horse had brought out something in this kid that made him want to just chat him up around the, the walking ring. So that was a really deciding moment for me. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever, and... I still do. It was an amazing connection that these two had. So in getting to know Joel and their facility up in Half Moon Bay, this happens on a daily basis up there um, with the, they have several um, off-track thoroughbreds that they have in their programs up there for riding and for caring for them and, and teaching autistic children and their families about horse care and, and what it takes to be able to learn to ride and balance and that sort of thing. So I really thought Fred was going to be a good fit. And I had started talking to Joelle about it quite some time before we actually took him up there. So when she had room, she was happy to take him. And he's he's done real well. He's not rideable. We don't put the kids on him, but he's very happy to have them bring him treats and, you know, let him groom him and feed him and that sort of thing. So it's worked out pretty darn well. We have detailed on this show in the past how horses are used therapeutically for soldiers with PTSD and for inmates at prisons. What can you say about the effect a horse has when used for people on the autism spectrum? I couldn't explain it as well as Joelle could, but there's some sort of almost a wavelength that, that horses connect with children on on the autism scale. It's hard for someone that hasn't experienced it other than seeing it to explain, but there's a connection and it really 
helps to calm children that may be a little bit on the hyper side. It gives them a, a sense of purpose with these animals. And it's, it's amazing to watch that horses are, are pretty amazing creatures anyway. Not only are they good for PTSD and for children with autism and we were involved in a group in Northern California a number of years ago for children that had cerebral palsy and the hippotherapy that is part of this program with these kids with cerebral palsy helps to teach them balance and, and to get their muscles to work for a short time while they're on, on the horse. So there's many, many therapeutic uses for horses. One of the really cool things is that we can use x-ray horses in a lot of these therapy programs because they're such sensitive, intuitive animals. Not that other horses aren't great too. They're all wonderful, but thoroughbreds have a higher sensitivity than most. And the legend of Seabiscuit lives on in a very unique way. So thank you so much, Ms. Chu, for sharing this with us. You're very welcome. Our thanks once again to Candace Chu and to Arad Ortiz. This is one time the racing world's a little ahead of the curve. For as the world begins reopening, horse racing's been there all along, and more tracks are back online, and the Triple Crown is even happening. But while there's much to look forward to, the battle might be lost. The window to recapture long-lost fans is slowly closing as major sports make plans for their resumptions, unless a spike in new cases means longer bans. The racing world this spring had an unprecedented monopoly. A century ago, they shared the stage with Major League Baseball. The other sports were minor at best, but racing across the country was all the rage. An effort to launch an advertising blitz was just announced, but not nearly as fast and strong as it should have been if the sport spoke with one voice and blanketed media from the start. Now it again gets lost in the entertainment din. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us including the brainiacs at America's Best Racing who have found themselves socially distancing themselves from this podcast, but we're going to change their minds. Anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We hope this finds you safe and healthy as you listen to this, and we'll see you next time.